I, I can't come right out and say, yes, I've experienced discrimination. I think it's just, it is what it is. I think the best advice I heard in the beginning in raising capital being a female was, look, here are the statistics. There is a bias. Here's the history and the the science behind it. This is not, you know, men out to get women. This is just the way things are. Get past it and keep going. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Now, here is Kathleen. Today I am with Jessica Willis. She is the founder and CEO of PocketNest.com. Jessica has spent her career in investment and finance industries, and she is a certified financial planner and certified private wealth advisor. Uh, She has an MBA and uh, an undergraduate degree, and she is passionate about personal finance. And the reason that I'm having Jessica on the show today is, number one, I was very impressed with the fact that she was a female founder in the tech world that is primarily male-dominated, and that she is on a mission to bring financial wellness to the masses. And anybody who's listened to the Breaking Money Silence podcast knows that is something I'm very passionate about. So welcome, Jessica. Thank you, Kathleen. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. Like sometimes I just say, hey, this is a really cool person. I read an article about them. I shoot them an email and they're a guest on my show. So I'm so glad that you're willing uh, to come down and meet me and do this podcast. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. One of the things I love about what I saw in that article that I initially read and then through our previous conversation and and want to talk about a little bit more in detail today is that you really have a strong commitment to making sure that more people are financially literate and have a greater sense of well-being. I would love to know how you define financial wellness or financial well-being and then also talk with us a little bit about kind of why you dedicated this part of your career to it. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, a lot of what we do at our company and the way I think of financial wellness is is probably not the way anybody in the financial industry thinks about it in that I want people to have the freedom and flexibility to what I say is sleep at night. I think so many of us feel overwhelmed by personal finance that, um, you know, we don't, we don't sleep well at night. We worry about, you know, a, a, a million different things that as it relates to personal finance. So when I think of bringing financial wellness to the masses, I really think about bringing peace of mind. With that peace of mind, of course, comes a lot of education. And so the education is, okay, you know, telling someone, teaching someone that financial education and personal finances and financial wellness is more than just, you know, making sure that your outflows are less than your inflows. It's really a myriad of many different personal financial topics. So high level, we want to see people sleeping at night, feeling calm and relaxed that they have their things in order. And as we, you know, get a little bit more granular, it's do they, have we given them the education to be able to sleep at night? And so why did you decide at some point in your career to found this company and to dedicate yourself to this mission? 
I think I've been dedicated to this mission my whole career. I've got 20 plus years in personal finances and my career has always been serving the high net worth. And I, I say that because that's, that's I think, unfortunately, sort of how our industry is. It takes a lot of money to get really great independent advice. And so I, I do think my whole career has been focused on bringing that peace of mind to my clients. But why did I leave my, you know, stable job to to start yes. a <laughs> stable, secure <laughs> job to start a startup? I, I really couldn't not do it. It was one of these things that became just, you know, something that I was constantly thinking about. There was even, you know, months and months of me sort of trying to ignore that I felt like I had a solution to a problem that was out there because I was I was nervous about leaving that stability to start a startup. But what I saw was that there was a really big need for what we're doing. I had a good sense of how to solve that problem and eventually just recognized, okay, I if I don't do this, nobody's going to do this in the way that seems so clear to me. And I love that because often what ends up happening is if we listen to it, there's a clear sense of what we should be doing. And it sounds like what you're doing now, and maybe have always been doing, but what you're doing now for a broader audience is really part of your life purpose. I think so. I mean, that that feels a little bit humbling to, to think of that way, but um yeah, there's, you know, the way the lens I can put on is, okay, if I was, I'm a parent, a mom of three, if I was looking at talking to my children, you know, as if they were grown adults and they felt like they had this this purpose or this need or this drive to do something that they were frankly a little bit nervous or afraid to do, I can put my parental lens on and say, what? Go for it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think when I look back, that's a good way to think about, you know, whether or not you should take that jump. So when you were in college or right out of college, did you have any idea that someday you'd you'd start a fintech company? No, definitely not. <laughs> um, even you know, even as I was getting ready to start the company, it was like this felt like a finance company, but I never had that that deep love of tech. I mean, I like disruption, I think, as much as any founder does. But no, I did not know I was going to be starting a technology company until here I am in, you know, having started a technology company. So, you know, a lot of people educate people around finances and and do it in a variety of different ways. I think one of the challenges that I've seen in the work that I've done over the past, you know, several decades is that often financial education or financial wellness it isn't accessible and it isn't applicable. Like it doesn't really meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. So part of what I'm curious about in terms of your journey, not only as a woman founder, but just in general of saying, okay, I have an idea. I have a solution to a problem that's out there. How did you decide to go with an app versus maybe an educational program or opening a new you know, nonprofit foundation. Like, how did you decide on Pocket Nest versus something else? I think I definitely didn't have that, let's say, conscious thought process of what's the best way to deploy financial wellness to the masses. I don't remember having that that concrete thought process. What I did know very clearly from the beginning is this is an industry that needs to scale and serve more people and, quote, move downstream. And the only way you can do that is through something based in technology. And for the record, what we've created is not a tool that replicates by any means 
means, what a CFP is doing or what a financial advisor is doing, I know we cannot create technology that that duplicates that effort. But what we can do is create technology that can meet some people where they are, where historically it's been prohibitively expensive for them to get traditional advice. Now, before we get into the specifics of the actual app and the education that you provide, I do know you sometimes or or maybe often work with financial institutions and with these advisors directly. So so how does that work? Our core platform is not to go direct to user. Our software is a comprehensive financial wellness tool that's actually white labeled in the brand of our customers, which are banks, credit unions, advisors, um, benefit providers, benefit consultants, other fintechs, even robo-advisors, really any company touching personal finance. If they want to provide a CFP light experience to their end users. They would license our software. And then our software allows them to to serve more people, identify more cross-sell opportunities, identify non-interest income opportunities, and that sort of thing. So we do have a platform out there that someone can download just at pocketnest.com to sort of play around with it. It, It's capped at the number of end users, um, but our core platform is licensing this to the financial institutions themselves to use in their brand with their end consumer. So I'm a consumer, I might work with XYZ financial advising firm and see Pocket Nest under their brand, but be delivered to me through their offerings. Exactly, exactly. So if we're licensing to, you know, some large national bank, they're on their mobile platform, they're deploying a you know, whatever their brand is of either a FinLife or or some name we come up with. And in the back end, that's just the Pocket Nest platform all in their brand. And what I love about that from a, a business strategy standpoint, and it, it's a very different thing, but when, when I write a book, I often think, how do I sell the book to the conference and sell 2,000 copies as opposed to sell a copy mm. here and there? Because yeah. for me, and it sounds like maybe for you, correct me if I'm wrong, it's about having impact. Like you can have a greater impact that way. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we there's so many reasons that we are not going direct to user, so many reasons why we like to license our software to the institutions. But primarily what we learned early on is our end users are asking their financial institution for a, you know, semi do-it-yourself, do-it-with-me wellness tool. And the response from those institutions are, geez, we'd love to help you, but our wealth management group has a minimum of a million dollars in net assets. And so we just, we saw that the institutions have the audience. We saw that the institutions have the problem. We saw that the institutions are, of course, always looking for additional pipeline. And so we thought, okay, let's just create the technology that we know they need to serve the masses. And so whether I'm getting this directly, which I understand is not your primary way, but people can go to pocketnest.com and download it. I have done that. Mm -hmm. It's on my phone. Or you can get it through your advisor, your bank, whatever. Either way, I think the question that sometimes comes up for people, and you addressed it a little bit, but I'd like to hear it a little, uh, your answer a little bit more, is, is it realistic to think that someone can achieve financial wellness Mm through technology or using an app on their phone. Now, I'm a Gen Xer, so you can say, yes, millennial and Gen Z are all about this, Kathleen. <laughs> or it could be that maybe they can't. So so how do you answer that, Jessica? Is that something that's a reasonable goal for people to do this through an app? I, I can't just answer yes and no. I can answer both yes and no. So is it possible 
for someone to achieve, you know, complete financial wellness as if they sat down from a CF across from a CFP through technology? The answer is no. Personal finance is such an intimate, overwhelming at times experience. We are certain we've done the research at our company. We've done the research very, very broadly. People still want handholding. So that's why we are not trying to create a tool that replaces myself as an advisor. However, if you think of, okay, Kathleen, if you and I were sitting across from each other and I was taking you through a a CFP experience, the certified financial planning experience, we'd probably have three or four or five meetings. I would have to understand a lot about you and about your, you know, your personal situation, your financial situation, your goals, even your deep, you know, intimate feelings about money, et cetera, to be able to give you advice. What we've learned is that we can take a really big portion of that get to know you process and put technology behind it. So we like to think that our software can be the first 50, 60, 70, 80% of that process, getting that advisor to that intimate conversation sooner. If there are many cases that I do believe, and here's where the yes comes in, I do believe that using our software can take someone from, again, zero to 50, 60, 70% of sitting across from an advisor, which is a heck of a lot more than that person probably started out with. So I think for the masses, our tool is good enough. And I think for you know maybe someone that wants to work with a traditional advisor, we can just queue up those conversations sooner. And what's interesting, having gone on the, you know, the platform, having downloaded it and answered some initial questions is they weren't the questions that I was expecting. Mm, Interesting. And I can't remember the in particular questions, but there was a psychological piece or an emotional piece that I just didn't expect. And of course, given what I do, I was thrilled with. And so it is different than I've experienced with other types of technology when it comes to just the nuts and bolts of finance. Yeah, I love that you bring that up. So that's the first thing that we do in our in our platform is we learn the behavioral tendencies of our end user. And if you've ever taken like a disk assessment or something, it's it's semi-similar to that. We're asking users to answer questions on um, things that they feel like they relate to. They pick words that they relate to. And in in return, we're telling them, all right, we don't give them like a bucket that they're in, but we do say, okay, you have these behavioral tendencies. You're either, you know, you have tendencies of a social butterfly, you have behavioral tendencies of a perfectionist or maybe a mover and shaker, or you have tendencies of a steady eddy. And then we explain to them what that means from a financial standpoint. And of course, sharing that information back to their financial institution is really helpful. And then we're editing the journey that they're on in the app, given what will make them get things done based on their behavior tendencies. Yeah, I thought that was great being someone who specializes in behavioral change. I was like, ooh, I like this aspect (laughs) of the the app. So um, I'm going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I would really like to talk more about your experience in the field that's male-dominated being a woman founder. And maybe for Mm -hmm. selfish reasons, because I founded my own company quite different than yours, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to compare notes. So great. I am with uh, Jessica Willis, the founder and CEO of PocketNest.com, and we will be back in just 30 seconds. Hey, it's Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I just wanted to tell you about my Breaking Money Silence Learning Lab. If you find negotiating fees and salaries anxiety-provoking, you're going to want to check out my online courses in the Breaking Money Silence Learning Lab. I will help you conquer your fear of negotiating, help you break money silence, and ultimately 
help you be more confident in asking and earning your worth. Each of the lessons are easily digestible video lessons, as well as handouts. You'll get concrete action items. And once you finish the course, you'll have an opportunity to do a free laser coaching call with yours truly, me. So definitely check out the Breaking Money Silence Learning Lab. Go to breakingmoneysilence.com backslash negotiating. I hope to see you there. I'm having a great conversation with Jessica Willis, the founder and CEO of PocketNest.com. We are talking about financial wellness, about her commitment to financial literacy for the masses, and how she's doing this through her technology company, PocketNest.com. Welcome back. Thanks, Kathleen. You know, sometimes women get upset by this questioning of really me wanting to drill down in terms of, you know, (laughs) being a woman in the field, what's it like in terms of gender discrimination. And so, you know, anybody out there just know this is part of Jessica's experience. It's not all of her experience, but I wanted to find out if you've run into some of the bias that I talk about. It exists some places. It doesn't exist everywhere, but you are in two very male dominated industries. So the financial (laughs) industry is probably 80, 85% male, 15% female. And the technology industry, I don't have the stats, but I'm thinking it's about the same or maybe even worse. So tell me about your experience of being a woman founder and maybe, you know, what the upside has been and, and maybe what the downsides have been. Yeah, you, you can actually, you can even take that a little bit further. Being at a startup, 2% of all venture capital goes to female-led companies and 98% goes to male-led companies. Um, and then fintech as a whole, and I, and I think this comes from, as you mentioned, the you know it's a male-dominated industry, both finance and technology. So when you get to fintech, putting those two together, it's even more heavily skewed. So yes, yes, and yes, um, I've definitely, I know the numbers, I know the statistics. I don't know, it's, it is a really hard question to answer. I mean, I've been answered, I've been asked very point blank, have you experienced discrimination based on your gender? It's hard to answer that question because you sort of don't know what you don't know. Um, I do know I've spent my entire life sort of being one of the few females in male-dominated environments, both, you know, I too am a Gen Xer. And when I was um, three, four, five, six years old, I was playing soccer and I was the, the only girl on the boys' soccer team for all of elementary school. So uh, you know, that I think little girls didn't play soccer back then the way they do now. So I, I sort of feel like I've, I've spent my whole life in this, this corner and I, I can't come right out and say, yes, I've experienced discrimination. I think it's just, it is what it is. I think the best advice I heard in the beginning in raising capital being a female was look, here are the statistics there is a bias. Here's the history and the the science behind it. This is not, you know, men out to get women. This is just the way things are. Get past it and keep going. Not get past it in that it's not an issue. Of course, it's an issue and it's something we need to talk about and address, but don't let it slow you down. And so I've sort of taken this like, okay, and let's keep going sort of mentality around all of it. Well, what's so interesting is if you started off as a very young girl and, you know, being the only girl on the team, It makes sense that it would be an experience that you're so used to. And I'm sure you develop Mm -hmm. certain skills to do that. I also think it's interesting. There's certain women, and I certainly am included in this, that tend to pick fields that are male dominated. You know, it's not like we sit around and go, oh, what field can I be in that's male dominated? Uh, But I know I 
I talk about this a lot. I ski a lot with the guys. I bike a lot with the men. I, um, you know, was in finance. I opened my own company. And so it is interesting. Now, one of the things that I'm curious about, Mm -hmm. I've never had to ask for funding because of the way my firm is structured. But for you, did you notice, so some of the research that I'm sure you're aware of says that when female founders are asking for money, they're asked questions that are really about what could go wrong versus men who are asked what's possible. Did you notice that? I have noticed that. I have seen that. Um, I've read that. So um, Harvard Business Review released a study maybe four or five years ago on that. And what they found was it's not like, again, it's not, um, the bias is not just the way men VCs ask female founders, but female VCs are asking female founders the same style of questions. It's much more the questions geared towards male founders are more about vision and opportunity. And the questions geared towards female founders are more about, okay, prove your, you know, prove everything you've gotten to thus far. And so having that knowledge and and reading that article, which by the way, I recommend anybody trying to raise capital or give capital, read that article just so that we can be aware of these biases. But I, I was at a pitch competition probably a year into this experience. And there were five or six companies on stage answering questions. And there were people in the room that we had, I had talked about this article with. And those same people were actually asking the questions. And when they were asking the questions of the males, they were definitely more visionary. And when they were asking the questions of the females, they were a little bit more, you know, tell me about your traction, tell me about, you know, how you're building out your financial model and and sort of the prove it questions. So and I know those people very, very well. And it was amazing to see the same people that were like, oh, yeah, there's biases. We need to watch out for them a- actually having that behavior. So I think it's this is one of those knowledge is, knowledge is power. Um, the more we can talk about it and recognize it happening, the better we can all be. Yeah. And you really speak to the fact that it can be so unconscious. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I talk about this. I do training on this. So it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen to me as well. And so I'll put the link in the show notes to that article you're discussing. So anybody who wants to check that out can check that out. I think it's worth reading if you're raising money or if you're just, you know, interested in this topic or a woman who wants to see kind of where things are at around finance. I think it's important. So because you are a woman who's been in this male dominated field, who's been successful, I would love to know what tips or what advice you have for our female listeners that may be has a business idea and is interested in launching it or or maybe has already launched and is in that, you know, process of trying to raise some money. Yeah. What advice would you give? Oh man. <laughs> There's so much. One, keep going. Well, how about first get your toes wet? Just start. <laughs> Just start and then keep going. Um, I think a lot of this is is about staying power. Find your community. So you're gonna hear no after no after no after no after no um you know literally a hundred no's for every one yes both on customers as well as finding capital as well as building a team as well as just sharing your idea listen to the no the naysayers and then um take everything they say with a grain of salt you know develop your thicker skin and then just keep going and find your community so i found a community of you know both the michigan detroit Ann Arbor ecosystem, the startup ecosystem to be very, very supportive. I found a couple different groups of female founders to be very supportive. So just finding your community is really, really, really important. And your mentors, I would say in your community. I mean that very broadly, find your mentors too. And one of the things that I want to check out if if you agree, one of the things that I think is really important is when you surround yourself with 
your community and your support system, I think it's really important to have diversity in terms of gender, in terms of people's perspectives, their race, their industries. Yes. Um, Because I I don't want to say it should just be women advising women and just men advising men. I think that's way too oversimplified and we're missing something. Yes, I totally agree. And I think um, socioeconomically as well, especially if you're in the finance world, I think it's really important. You know, my biases has been, my bias has been serving all high net worth individuals. And so there's times we're building out product and, and my team actually, we, we had the situation where someone from my team is like, Hey, do you realize in the app we're rounding to the nearest thousand? And I thought, well, that seems okay. And and it was her husband actually that was like, wait, why are you guys rounding so much? You know, a $50, like rounding to the nearest hundred even can be a little bit detrimental to someone that's living paycheck to paycheck. So I think, you know, you're, you're completely right. Um, that diversity is important in so many, so many different ways. Well, I am so impressed with what you've started, what you're up to. I can't wait to follow it. I mean, you're already successful, but to kind of continue to follow it. I'm so glad I stumbled over that article and uh, had the uh, chutzpah to pick up the phone (laughs) and say, let's chat. Let's uh, bring you on the podcast, Jessica. Me too. Me too, Kathleen. I agree. It's so, it's been so nice getting to know you. And um, as you, as you probably remember, I'm glad you had the the determination to follow up because the first, I had an issue with the first time we were supposed to connect. And so I'm so glad we, we did end up reconnecting a second time. It was meant to happen. And I don't, I don't give up easily, which is probably why (laughs) I've been successful in my business. So, so where can listeners find out more about you and also where for the consumers out there and or the advisors, where can they find out more about your app? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, the best place to start is definitely our website, pocketnest.com. You can Google us. We're everywhere. We're on every type of social media you can find. Our general sales inbox comes from uh, hello at pocketnest.com. So you can send an email there. Um, But we have loads of information on our website. So I always suggest that people start there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for breaking money silence with me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.